This week's parsha is Parshas Vayetze. Perak Chavtes Pasukid Aleph says, Vayisa es Kailoi Vayeth. When Yaakov Avinu sees Rachel by the well for the very first time, this should have been a time of great simcha. Yaakov Avinu finds his soulmate, he finds the Yakaris Abayis of Klal Yisrael, the woman that would be the mother of the entire Klal Yisrael, and he should have been overjoyed. But surprisingly, the Torah says that he raised his voice and he began to cry. Very strange occurrence. Why would he cry? So, of course, the first thing that we do is we look at Rashi. And Rashi says, two pshatim, and why he cried. The first pshat was, Lefishet Tzafa Baruch HaKadosh, because he saw in Ruach HaKadosh, She'ena nechneses imay l'kvura. She saw, he saw that Rachel Imenu would not be able to be buried with Yaakov Avinu at the end of her life. We know that Rachel Imenu was not buried in Maris Machpelah, but instead she was buried in Kever Rachel, away from Yaakov Avinu, and so that was a cause for grief for Yaakov Avinu at this point. And so he began to cry because he saw Baruch HaKadosh that they would not be buried together eternally. That's the first Pshad in Rashi. The second Pshad in Rashi is, Because he came empty-handed. He didn't have anything to give to Rachel Imenu. Omar, and he said to himself, Eliezer, Eved, Abba, Hayubiyadav, Nizamim, Utsmidim, Umigdanais. Eliezer, the servant of my father, he had in his hands all types of jewelry and bracelets and all types of uh, things to present to Rivka. Vani, Ein Biyadi Klum. I don't have anything to give Rachel. So this caused a lot of uh, grief on behalf of Yaakov Avinu that he came empty-handed and he did not have the, the, the special jewelry that Eliezer brought for Rivka Imenu. He didn't have that for Rachel and that caused him to, gr- to cry. And then Rashi says, L'fisha Radaf Elifaz ben Esau b'mitzas aviv acharav lahargai Elifaz, the son of Esav, he ran after Yaakov Avinu to try to kill him by the commandment of his father. Esav, of course, was on the prowl. He was looking to kill at this point Yaakov. He couldn't find Yaakov, but he did send his son Eliphaz to go and track him down and kill him. And he actually did that. Eliphaz caught up to Yaakov Avinu. And he was ready to kill him based on the instructions of his father. But, But because Eliphaz was raised in the house of Yitzchak, he grew up in the, in the lap of Yitzchak, he withdrew his hand, meaning he had a little bit of Rachmanis on Yaakov, and he didn't immediately kill him. But he did have instructions from his father that he must kill him. So what should he do? 
What should I do? I have a mitzvah of kibbutz. My father told me that I should hunt you down and kill you. And now here I am. I, I'm ready to kill you, but I, I have some uh, rachmanis on you. After all, I, I was raised by Yitzchak. So Yaakov says to him, Take what I have in my hand, meaning take all of the jewelry, all the silver, all the, all the gold, all the precious stones, all of the valuables that he brought down to the house of Lavan to present to Rachel. Take them. And because I will then be rendered an Ani, I will be impoverished, I will not have any money to my name, so I will be considered as if I was dead. So you're able to go back to your father Esau and say to him that you basically killed Yaakov Avinu because, um, and, and, and hopefully he'll be satisfied with that answer. And then, uh, and then everyone is happy. Esau will be happy. I'll be happy that I'm alive. Rachel will be happy. Everybody's going to be happy. That's the way, uh, that's the way it went down. So this is the, this is Rashi. Let's again chazer this Rashi. Rashi was bothered by why it is that the Pasuk says that when he met, when Yaakov met Rachel, a time that he should have been overjoyed, he should have been dancing, and instead he starts to cry. Why was Yaakov crying at this point in history? And Rashi gives us two pshatim. The first pshat in Rashi is, he saw Kaidash that Rachel will not be buried next to him. And the second shot is that he came empty-handed. He didn't have what to uh, give her in terms of uh, jewelry. Okay, we're going to ask questions, two questions on these two Pshatim and Rashi. Just bear in mind this Rashi for a few minutes. Just want to make a slight, slight detour. Um, just to say a nice ara on the side. Uh, where is this whole story about Alifa's Marumas in the Tyre. We know that everything, less media, the Gemara says in Tainus, the Lairamiza by Rice. So there's nothing that is not alluded to in the Tyra. You're going to find everything in the Tyra. It might be Gematrius, it might be Rashi Tevis, it might be uh, another way of looking at a, at a Pasuk and darshaning it homiletically. But whatever you see in Medrashim and Tyre Shabbat, there is a way to somehow find it in the Psukim. This story with Eliphaz is, is such a, an important part of history, if you think about it. Because Eliphaz was about to assassinate Yaakov Avinu. That would have been the end of Klal Yisrael. But because he had some Rachmanes, he grew up in the lap of Yitzchak, and he had pity, he took the money away from Yaakov and Hani Chashev Kemes. That's a major, that's not like a, even a even if it was minor, it would be Marumas in the Tyra. But this is a major storyline. Okay, so it's not Beferish in the Torah, but it should be definitely uh, hinted, alluded to somewhere in the Torah. So if you look in the Vilna Gain, he has a, a, a fascinating uh, Rashi Tevis, and it's on the first Pasuk in this week's Parsha. If, if any of you have a Chumash in front of you, it might be instructive to open it up and just look at the letters all the letters of Ayetza Yakumi Bershava, and while you're doing that, I am going to read to you the words of the Gra and how the Gra says that every letter of the first Pasuk in our Parsha speaks about this storyline 
of Eliphaz taking the money away from Esau. So I'm not going to keep on telling you how every word of this line that I'm about to read from you from the Gra spells out the entire first Pasuk and Parish Vayetze, but you have to trust me that it does. Here he goes. Vayetze Yaakov Tzadik Oz. Okay, that's Vayetze. Yaakov the Tzadik went then, Oz Esav Kailai, then Esav cried out Bebechi, Miyad by Eliphashu ben Esav, then Eliphaz, who was the son of Esav, came, Vayitain Yaakov loy kol chafatzov, and Yaakov gave to him all of his objects, all of the, the, the wealth that he brought down, he gave it, he relinquished that to Eliphaz, Rak Nishar HaMakel. The only thing that was remaining to Yaakov was the Makel, which is, by the way, how did he know that he had a Makel? Because later on, Yaakov was going to say, right? that I, I came to the Arden with a Makel. So we see that he did have, that he did leave him. Eliphaz left Yaakov generously a Makel, a walking stick. But everything else was taken from him. And all of this whole story was really, is found in the Rashi Tevis of the very first Pasuk in our parasha. Now, I wanted to say when I was your age, I had a different shot in how this was alluded to, in, uh, not in the first Pasuk, but a little, bit, um, a little bit after the first Pasuk in this week's parasha. When, ya- ya- when Yaakov left um, from Haran, and uh, I mean from Be'er Sheva, and he went to Haran. This is what the Pasuk says, okay? I'm just going to say the Pshuta Shomikra first, then I'm going to say my Remez, okay? He was encountered on the, on the road, and he slept there, because the sun had set, and he took from the stones of the place, we know he put them around his head, put them around his head. We know they all joined together, like Rashi says. Vayishkav Makamu, and he fell asleep. And then we know the end of the story that it turned out that it was the Makam Mikdash. He woke up from his dream with a ladder and he said that I didn't have any idea that it was the Makam Mikdash. Okay, so listen to my pshat uh, in how this Pasuk might be alluding on a certain level to the, uh, to the story of Alifaz. All right? Vayishkav Bamakim. Yaakov, when he left, he was encountered on the road. Who encountered him on the road? And he was, lun means to sleep, but it really means like lino or halana means to leave, to, to be delayed. Halana means delayed, like halanas adin. So Yaakov was delayed when he was encountered on the road. Why? The shamish, Eliphaz, Eliphaz who was serving as as Esau's assistant, in order to track down Yaakov and kill him, he came, and Eliphaz took from the Avonim, from the stones, from the, 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 the possessions that the Rabbi Nishalem had bestowed on Yaakov, Hamakim of the Rabbi Nishalem, and Yaakov gave those, Avnei Hamakim, he gave those, all of the treasures in lieu of his head, meaning he, in place of getting killed, he gave them, uh, he gave the stones, 
and he was considered to be dead at that time because Ha'ani Chashuv Kemes. Good Prat? I see Yaakov smiling. Penny is not convinced yet. You like it? Okay, good. Fine. Fine. So, and Shlem is thinking about it. So, we have, uh, and the rest of you, I don't know what you're doing. Now, let's go back to the Rashi that we started with. Ah, Roni looks like he's happy. Or not. Not sure. Ah, thumbs up. Okay. Kobe. Happy or not happy? Okay. So, let's go back. So now we have these two Pshatim and Rashi. And I have... I have... um, Two questions on the two pshatim and Rashi. Okay, now the first, Kobe, mute yourself, please. I don't want to have to do it for you. Okay, thank you. Um, so the uh, the first Rashi, the first pshat and Rashi is that Yaakov Avinu was crying because he saw Baruch Hakodesh that Rachel was not going to be buried next to him. Now I don't know. You know, I never wrote a, a screenplay for Hollywood. But I don't know if that's exactly what I would be writing into a script, that as soon as they have the very first encounter, Yaakov and Rachel, the, you know, the greatest couple in Jewish history, possibly, the, the couple that would be Maimed, the Shifte Ka, together with, of course, Leah, but Rachel was considered the Akaris Habayis, is a tremendous source of simcha. You're thinking now, Yaakov Avinu, about that you're going to die someday, and she's not going to be buried Next to you, that's not exactly, you know, something that I would think of at the moment that you're meeting your kala. Imagine like at your vart, you start breaking down and crying and everybody says, oh wow, tears of joy. He says, no, I'm thinking about when she drops dead, like 20 years, you know, 40, 50 years from now, she's not going to be buried next. That's not, you know, appropriate. Yaakov Avinu now is thinking about, about uh, his, about his, his Rachel, that she's not going to be buried next to him. Lachar meyav esrim, like that's not uh, that's not that doesn't seem to be something that uh, that is uh, that that makes much sense at least on a on a simple level. Why is he thinking now of death? Why is he thinking about her his death, her death, Pura? What's going on with that? The second thing that bothered me is the second shot in Rashi. Rashi says that he came, he was crying. Yaakovinu was crying because he came He was coming empty-handed. Coming empty-handed, and uh, you know Eliezer, Eved, you know Eved Avram. He came and he brought trinkets and he brought bracelets and jewelry and fancy stuff. And you know, and I don't have anything to give. And that's why you. That's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, the Ishtam Yeshev Aholim. He was worried about Gashmias. He was worried about jewelry. Roughly, you think she could care less about the jewelry. Yaakov cares about Julia for, again, if you care, you feel a little bad, but is that a cause for Vayisa Kaila Vayef? You're crying because you couldn't pull out of your pocket like a, a, a fancy bracelet, a fancy uh, necklace, some, some nose rings, that's for that, that's a reason, okay, you say, you apologize, you tell the story that Elifaz came and took it from you, that's not a reason to, to start crying. I don't think we would cry for that, but but we definitely, you know, we might not be happy about it. We wouldn't cry. So Alachas Kama Vakama Yaakovina, the least Magushim Dika person on planet Earth, he's going to start crying about the fact that he didn't have McDonald's and uh, 
trinkets and 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 nizamim and tabais and to give tzmidim to give to to, to Rachel again something needs a lot of beer about this Rashi would everybody agree to that yes thank you okay so now we're going to explain the pshat but first we're going to uh, say a little hakdamu. When I was a child learning this Rashi in Yeshiva, and I'm sure when you learned this Rashi in Yeshiva for the first time, with Eliphaz, this whole story with Eliphaz, the way I understood it was that this was sort of like a kinunya. It was sort of like a shtick. Esav really told Eliphaz that he wants him to kill Yaakov. If you see Yaakov, you pull out your gun, you shoot him dead. That's what I want. That's what Eliphaz... Now, Eliphaz had a guilty conscience. He didn't really feel comfortable doing that. So he goes to Yaakov, and Yaakov, like, you know, says, Here, here's a good idea. You, I'll give you my money, Ani Chashiv Kemes, wink, wink, and now I'll be, like, dead, and now you're going to go back to Esav, and you're going to report back to him that I'm dead. That's the way I learned. So it was, like, sort of like another Ramah. It's like the final nail in Esav's coffin. Like, Yaakov already... Um, you know, took the brachas from, took the b'chayr from, and now one one more time he's going to really, like, you know, do the trifecta and pull the wool over Esau's eyes one final time. That's the way I learned it. I think that's the, the way everybody understands. Ah, oh, come on, like, who are you kidding? That's the way, I, that's the pshute of the medrash, is that, you know, it was a way out. It was a shtick that Yaakov was able to do in order to avoid getting killed. So he took, gave his money, and that was like a kapara for him. That was anichashiv kemes. What I wanted to say is that that is not the right shot in this medrash. Chas v'shalom. Yaakov's not a, a shtick macher. Yaakov's not trying to make kunsen and to try to, to pull wool over. Even the other cases, the ones that I just alluded to about the Bechaira and about the... Yaakov Avinu didn't want to steal anything. Yaakov Avinu Fakarit, he didn't... His mother told him that you have to do this. He was doing it purely on, on Rivka's cheshpen. In fact, she said, All I kill it's on me. Or if you get in trouble, I'll take, uh, I'm going to take the bullet for you. But it's not... She, he didn't want to do it. Ula Yemusheni Avi, by the way, my great grandfather said, Pshadon, Ula Yemusheni Avi. Ula doesn't mean there, um, you know, I, I'm afraid that my father is going to feel me. It was a Lushen of, like the Vilna Gain says, Ula is, Pen means I'm afraid that, you know, lest something happens. Ula means Halavai, something should happen. When Yaakovina says, Ula Yemusheni Avi, you know, before he went and, and, and took the brachas, he was hoping on a certain level. He wanted Yaakov to, to feel him and see that he's not Esav. He didn't want to scam Yaakov Avinu. It's the last thing Yaakov was Ish Emes. He didn't want to, to, to in any way uh, bend the truth. Here also, he wasn't looking to bend the truth. So what was he doing, Yaakov Avinu? What I'd like to suggest is that our pshat, that our approach, our view of Torah, of Chazal, is too lackadaisical, too informal, too theoretical to really, to really understand what the Torah is. And we're all like this. When I say an Ani Chashev Kemes, when you learn that Gemara in Adarim, or when, an Ani Chashev you don't think that he's really dead, Right? 
You think it means like, you know, like the Reb Chaim Shmulevit says, Pshadani Chashu Kumei says that a Yid is Batsim a Naisen. A Jew is a, a person that's a giver. We're all givers inherently. We give a lot of tzedakah. We taught the world how to, how to be philanthropic and how to give tzedakah and do chesed. We're givers. An Ani is in the unfortunate position that they have to be on the receiving end of things. They're, they suddenly become takers. And that's like death. That's akin to death. For a yid, for a yid to be on the receiving end of things, mamish tantamount to death. So we think, okay, it's it's like death, but it's not mamish death. It's just like the Gemara was waxing poetic. It's like a like a dead, but it's it just gives us a a, a taste of what 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 it's like death, but it's not death. For a tamar chacham, for a yid that's a tzaddik, they don't look at. Taira, in that informal fashion, and they don't look at Chazal in that informal fashion, and that, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not, but whatever. Uh, well, I'm sure there's Mepharshim that explain it, and that's it. They take it, Pshuta Kemashmai. When Chazal say that an Ani is Chashiv Kemes, it's Pshuta Kemashmai, it's Mamish Kemes. It's mamish a dead person. It's not like it's not just a figure of speech. It's not a way of like a, a, of conveying an idea that an ani is like a mace. An ani is dead. An ani, as far as the hashkafas atayr is concerned, he might as well be in a coffin as, and, and and dead and dead and buried. We look at halacha as like it's a very like elastic type of thing, and we could we'll find with some there's a paisik that's matirit, or maybe there's a different. You just have to look deeper, and you'll find pshatim that don't take it so literally. And there are ways around it, or we could give a head fake, like for example, like the famous mice with Ramesh Feinstein, that he was once uh, supposed to go to a meeting with G'dayla Yisrael, and. He was about to go into the meeting. There was like first there was a mincha, and then they were meeting in like a room off of the base medrash. And big gedolim were waiting for him to join the meeting. Obviously, they wouldn't start the meeting without him. And he was five minutes late, and ten minutes, and fifteen minutes. Finally, after fifteen minutes, he walks into the room, and they all stand up. And say, Is Rashiva okay? We're waiting. 15. The meeting was start, supposed to start at three. Now it's three fifteen. Where was the Rashiva? He says, "Well, the there was a fellow that was davening mincha." For a long with a long shmeine essay right outside the door of this room, there's no other door to get in, and he was davening mincha. It says in halacha that you're not supposed to walk in front of somebody that's davening mincha. So they said to him, "But you know, this is like pikuach nefesh. Like this meeting that we're talking about is mamish. It's a very important thing. We're not talking about uh, who knows what. We're talking about things that are imibrumish alaylam. These are these are highly consequential discussions that we're having here." So he says, I know that. But what am I supposed to do? There was a brick wall in front of me, blocking me from the door. There was a brick wall. Which means to say that to Ramesha Feinstein, halacha was not something that, you know, what, what would we do in that circumstance? We want to, let's say, forget about an important meeting with Lely Israel. Let's say we want to go to lunch. Okay? And it's after Mincha, lunch, I'm hungry. I really want you know, I'm on the meal plan, I paid in full, I want to get my lunch. But there's a guy standing by the only way to get to, between me and lunch, there's a guy standing, Shemayin Ezra, what would we do? 
So first of all, we'll think, well, you know, it's Bittal Taira, this guy has a chutzpah to stand there, he should have stood somewhere else, what right did he have to block the door? So we'll make him into a Russia, and that Ishmael Esri is not really valuable anyway, that's the first thing I think we would do. Then the second step in this assault on this guy is to, is to just say, you know, you know, I, it's, it's, I need, it's Bittal Taira, I have to get, or the other approach, I just like, don't think, turn off your brain and just walk. Or do a head fake, like like walk around and do something, but just like you'll get to the door. You're not going to think brick wall. That's because we don't look at halacha as something tangible, physical. We look at it as something that is bendable and could be could be construed in different manners. And you know, mustama, there are paiskim that are mako in this case. I have to get to lunch, and then shear is going to be. That's the way we all are. I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. I'm saying all of us. I think that's, you know, we do this on a constant basis with a lot of things we're making with halachas that perhaps we shouldn't be. We don't take it seriously. We don't take it literally. We, we keep mitzvahs and we, we learn Tyra, no doubt. But in terms of our attitude about divrei Tyra, I'll give you another example. The Chavetz Chaim used to ask, how do you know that tomorrow morning the sun is going to rise? How do you know? If I were to ask you, prove to me that the sun is going to rise. So if you're a scientist, you say, well, you know, you, you'll pull out your whole chart and your, you know, either your charts or your model, you know, your, phys- your, your the models of the sun and you're going to show me how everything... It- or you'll say Chazaka, you know, the last 5,780 years, 81 years, the sun has been rising every morning, the sun is going to continue. Chavetz Chaim says, no. The way I know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning is because there's a Pasuk in Parshas Nayach that says, Yayim Yishbaisu. After the Mavu was over, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a guarantee, written guarantee in the Torah, that there will never be a cessation of day and night. There's going to be a night at night, there's going to be a, a sun in the morning, and that's it, forever. That's the reason, says the Chavetz Chaim, that I know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Were it not for that Pasuk, maybe the sun will never rise again. I don't know. Who knows tomorrow morning? I wouldn't be shocked if the, if the, if the sun didn't rise. The only reason I'd be shocked if the sun didn't come out at Allah, at Nates, is because... The Pasuk says that it will. Meaning, the Pasuk is what makes a Metzius. Nothing else in the world is as true and as real as the Tyra is. The Panavichirav marshals the Gemara in Baba Basra on Chafeyam Abbez, the Gemara asks the following question, a fascinating Gemara. Listen to this Gemara. How do you know that Bavel, Babylonia, like modern-day Iraq, how do you know that's north of Eretz Yisrael? Now, before you get to the Territory of the Gemara, what would you say? What's the Balabatish answer for that? Okay, we know that Bavel is north of... You pull out any map, any globe, you Google Earth it, you'll find that, that Bavel is Litzvayna to Eretz Yisrael. End of Gemara, right? End of question. But look at what the Gemara answers. The Gemara says, because there's a Pasuk, Pasuk in Nach, that says, the Pasuk in Nach says, Mitzafein tiftacha ra al kol yesh From the north, 
evil will open up on all the inhabitants of Eretz Yisrael. That means that the Pasuk is saying that Babel is north of Eretz Yisrael. Fracta Panovich Rav, what do you mean? We need a Pasuk for that? It's Geometry 101. Not Geometry. Geography 101, I'm sorry. Geography 101. So, he says, were it not for a Pasuk in Chumash, I don't care what a map says, I don't care what an atlas says, I don't care what a globe says, I don't care what Google says, it doesn't matter. That is not Kaveya the Metzias. The one thing that you, that's money in the bank as far as a Metzias is concerned is Tyra. Tyra is what's Kaveya the Metzias of something. You want to know for sure something is true, you look in the Tyra. If you have a Pasuk, then you're okay. If you don't have a Pasuk, it may be true, but it may not be true. What do you mean, may not be true? How are you going to make bubble Ladarim of Eretz Yisrael? I don't know. That's a good question. But the point is that the only reality that as a Yid we're supposed to believe in is the Tyre Kadesh. If the Tyre says it, it's true. And there's no greater truth to it. That's not only by words of Tyre Shabbat Sav, it's words of Tyre Shabbat If the Chachmea Tyre say something, it's literal. I, there's a hundred stories from Chaim Kanievsky how he did certain things, or he said, because there's a Gemara Mufresh that says it. And you think, whoa, well, that Gemara is, you know, a couple of thousand years ago written. And the Gemara, you know, does it really mean that? I mean, who takes these Gemaras literally? But Reb Chaim Kanievsky takes them literally. He'll paskin on the, on the basis of some of these Gemaras. And you'll say to yourself, like, you know, come on, you know. And, and, but that's because he's, his reality is Tyra. Our reality is the world. We're men of the world, women of the world. We know what's out there. We know geometry. We know Google. We know uh, geography. We know, <clears throat> we know science. That's real. And if a rabbi says something that's, you know, from a chazal, okay, I'm not convinced, but I hear. Very nice. That's a nice maramukim you brought, you know. Do you have a, you know, give me the handout, I'll file it away. But like, that's not, that's not the way G'dayla Yisrael Tzadikim don't look at Tyra that way. They look at every morsel, every word, every syllable of the Tyra Shabbat and the Tyra Shabbat Peh. That is the Metzias. That's the reality. Now we roll our eyes and we say, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not. I don't know if it should be taken literally. And I'm not saying that all Agadita should be taken literally. And I'm not saying all Tyra or everything is Halachalam Isa. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, don't assume automatically that it's not. If you find a Maramakim that says it's not, then we could talk about it. But you have to take Tyra and Chazal at face value. Yes, there's an Aymek to everything, and yes, we have to understand there's Machshava and there's depth to everything, and not to like, but, but the Pshuta Shomikra is something also. And we have to live in a world that really takes Chazal and they live with Chazal. And they understand it as a reality. I said on Shabbos last week about the story of the Kivager that a Meshulach or a Magid came to his house, he invited him for supper, and he offered him benching. He was Machabi, Reb Kivager was Machabi, this, this poor guest with benching. So this poor guest was obviously a Tamil Chacham, and he, he, he said, Well, the Gemara in Chulin says that 
uh, if somebody, let's say, steals benching from somebody else, it's, he has to pay a knas of Arbam Zahuvim, 40 pieces of gold. So he joked to Rebekah that, you know, I'd rather have 40 pieces of gold than benching. So we think Rebekah would say, okay, you know, that's funny. Rebekah said, really? You'd rather have 40 pieces of gold than benching? I mean, you're willing to give up the kibbutz of benching 40 pieces of gold? He ran to his closet. He wasn't a rich man, Rebekah He ran to, you know, to his, his closet he took out 40 pieces of gold and he gave it to the Ani for, for this chos that he should be able to bench. Now to us, when we le- learn these Gemara, 40 pieces of gold, it's like, okay, it's a Gemara, but uh, please, you know, come on. Benching 40, 40 pieces of gold might be today $80,000. $80,000 for benching? I don't pay $80,000 for Maftir Yaina. I should pay $80,000 for a regular benching? But the... Truth is that if you're a tzaddik, if you're a tamar chacham, if you're a maimon in Tyra, Tyra is real. Tyra is real. And if the if the Gemara says it's worth our bamzun, then that's that's a that's a bargain. In Shemaim, we're going to say, "Wow, that was a great deal." Rabbi Kivager is like you know laughing all the way to bank for that that eighty thousand dollars that he spent on benching. But for us, we don't see Tyra mitzvahs as being like tangibly real. We see it as an academic pursuit, maybe an intellectual pursuit. We know that there's holiness, we know that it's true, but our relationship to it is a little too casual. When Chazal say, Ani Chashiv Kemes, when they say that somebody that's a poor person is considered like a dead person, we don't, uh, not, you know, we, we, we'll say nice pshatim, we'll say Tyron, we'll say chasidus on it. Yaakov Avinu took it literally. Yaakov Avinu, Ani Chashev Kemes, was not a wink-wink. Ani Chashev Kemes, when he gave that money to Alifaz, he was basically writing his own death certificate. He meant it real. You can go back and tell your father that you killed me because you're killing me because the Tyrus says Ani Chashev Kemes, it has a din of a mace. A din of a mace does not mean that it's a theoretical pshah and it's, you know, very loosely translated and it's very, you know, very, very casually defined as a mace. Chas v'shalom, he's not a mace. Yaakov Avinu says, Chazal say, Ani chashuk I'm a mace. You could tell your father, you literally killed me because I am a mace. It wasn't a kinunyan, it wasn't a shtick. He says, if you take my money away from me, you are rendering me a mace. Now, when did this come into the world of reality for Yaakov Inu? When did Yaakov feel the pinch of the Aeneas? When he arrived to the well and he saw Rachel for the first time and he wanted to give her the Tachshitin, like, like Eliezer did to Rivka, he wanted to give it, but then he wasn't able to give because he was an Ani. At that point, it hit home that he mamish felt death. He felt at that point when he was not able to be that giver, like Reb Chaim Shmulevet said, he felt that death in a literal sense. He meant it literally. He told Eliphaz he should understand it literally. Eliphaz literally 
was able to go back to Esav and say, I killed, I killed Yaakov because he took the money and that, was, that rendered him a mace. But the first moment that he actually felt the physical Misa was when he couldn't give to Rachel. And I think if that is true, we can understand the two questions that we have on Rashi. Now, the simple pshat in the Rashi is, in the first pshat in Rashi, is that the first pshat in Rashi is not really related to the second pshat in Rashi. And the whole mice with Alifaz is really on the second. I'm not convinced that that's the case. If you look in the Rashi even, it seems like there's two pshatim. First of all, because he saw in Rachel that she wasn't going to Lekvura. Number two, he came biadaim Rekanius. And then after that, he says the story about Lufisha Radov Alifaz. Now, what I want to be Mechadesh here is that this Maisa with Alifaz is really the Pshat in both, in both Pshatim and Rashi. Alifaz, this was the point that the fact that Alifaz took the money from Yaakov Avino and he felt it now, he felt the Misa. He felt as if like he was dead at this point. And that's why he cried. The first Pshat and Rashi is he cried because he saw that Rachel would not be buried next to him. And we asked, is that the thing that he should be thinking about at this moment in time? He should be dancing the Hora. He's about to get married to Rachel Imenu. Should be smiling from ear to ear. Why is he crying? The answer is because he was an Ani. An Ani is Chashiv Kimes. And so he was in the Parsha of Misa. He's in the Parsha of Misa. He's thinking of himself as a Mace. He's thinking of Rachel Imenu also in this regard, in this context of Misa, and he saw that his Kvura and her Kvura would not be side by side. That caused him to cry. And furthermore, he came be Adayim Rekanias. That was the crying over his personal Misa. He was meeting Miss Abel on himself. He came be Adayim Rekanias. He wasn't able to give. He felt that pinch of death, like Rabbi Shalavit said, that he wasn't able to be a nice saint, so he was a mace. It wasn't that he was, he felt that, I, Nebuch, you know, I didn't have the, the, the Gashmias to give her, and she's going to be disappointed. Chas The Bechi was the Bechi of personal Avelos over his, his matzav in life, that he had a din of a mace. If he has a din of a mace, he has this, this, this Avelos, Upon him, his a personal availus, he's being misable on himself that he's not able to give, and he felt the misa literally that Chazal described an Ani as being. I think this is a very, very important lesson to take away from this Rashi. Because we have to understand that the Torah is our reality. You know, there was once a Talmud that came to me and he said that he has a very big, he had a, a very big problem. Hashkafically, he was uh, you know, having Chalish Zadas and Taira. I said, why? So he said that he had a Rebbe and the year that they were learning Baba Kama and Yeshiva and they were learning about Mazik and Nizik about a damager and a damagee, and you're spending mamish a whole year on the lumdus of how it works. A mazig is it because of a, is it a mice of Geneva? What is a mazig? Why is a mazig chayiv? All these, the whole lumdus, all the Torah. He said his rebbe, who was like a shtickle, absent-minded professor, 
But his Rebbe, when he was like parallel parking one day, he was, this Talmud was watching his Rebbe, and he was like banging into the car behind him, then smashing into the car in front of him, banging back into the car behind him, making damage on the front car, the back car, and he says, Laman Hashem. He says, if we're learning about Mazik and Nizik the whole year, and my Rebbe can't pay attention to not being a Mazik himself, then what's it all worth? And he's right. The boy was 100% right. Tyra is not a theoretical pursuit. It's not a theoretical pursuit. There's a, they say a famous Misa about a philosopher, a very, I don't know if it was Aristotle or Socrates, or one of the famous you know, ancient philosophers. And he was once, you know, and he was, the philosophers, they were speaking about ethics and honesty, morality, and he was once caught in a very uncompromising situation. He was like being caught, whatever, with a, a very, I don't want to even talk about it during a shmooze. He was doing something very unspeakable. And the Talmidim walked in on him while he was doing this act. And without even being embarrassed, this person said, until now you saw me as the philosopher. Now you see me as the man. I'm a man, I'm a human being. I don't have to have a connection between what I'm philosophizing about and what, I'm, what my actions are. One thing is the world of philosophy. That's an esoteric, uh, theoretic, academic world. And then there's the world of reality. I'm a man. A yid doesn't or shouldn't live his life like that. There shouldn't be this disconnect between one's mayach and one's lave, between one's mind and one's heart and one's body, what we do and what, we, and what we're thinking about and what we know logically should not be at all disconnected from, because if the Torah is real, if we're learning the Torah Hashem and we believe it, and we're, then we're not just learning it during morning, say, during afternoon, night, as a theoretical discussion, and, but in reality it's not, it has to be taken into reality. In fact, you know, speaking about Esav, we know that Esav's head was in Maris HaMachpelah. In fact, there's a room, there's a chamber in Maris HaMachpelah that we have a Kabbalah for, a Messiah for, that that's actually where Esav's head was buried. No one else is buried there. I think the Arabs call it Joseph's room because maybe they have some sort of Messiah that Yesav HaTzadik was buried there. But we know that Yesav is buried in Shechem. We know it as our Messiah, and I think it's a reliable Messiah, if I'm not mistaken, is that Esau's head happens to be buried in that room. It's a strange thing. Why We know the story in Masech how Esau's head was decapitated and rolled into Maris Machpelah, but why did that happen? Nothing happens, just Stam. So Rav Aaron Kotler used to say, that Esav was a big Talmud Chacham. And we think Esav is like being a, you know, a savage guy and like very, you know, a, you know, a man of the field. Hey, don't kid yourself. Esav learned by, together with Yaakov, he learned under Yitzchak, he learned under, he was a, ganz feine Talmud Chacham. Okay, he was quite an impressive Talmud Chacham. That wasn't the problem with Esav. It wasn't that he was an Amaretz and he didn't learn, he learned. The problem with Esav was that he, his learning in his brain never really spread to his body. His body was Esav. His head was Chash. His head was, his head was Kaddish. Just his body never got the memo from his head that you're supposed to actually follow what you're learning. 
So the doctor of Aaron Cutler, his head belongs in Maris Machmela because his brain was fine. His brain was Mamish uh, Ivy League brain. Big Talmud Chacham. The body, though, doesn't deserve to be Maris Machmela because the body wasn't, wasn't listening to the brain. It's one thing to have Yediyah. It's another thing that it should actually be a reality. When we're learning the Torah, whatever we're learning, there's always something that we could take practically from it. Whether it's Halacha Lamaisa, whether it's Musr, whether it's Machshava, whether it's... There's always a lesson that we should be taking out of Gemara. This is the Ramban says in his famous Igaris, when you get up from your book, whatever you're studying, if it's Sefer Torah, if it's Torah Shabbat Peh, whatever it is, Think about what you learned. If there's something that you're able to take from it. You're supposed to live Tyra. Now supposed to say, yeah, that's a nice shout. Now let's do something completely different. Tyra has to be reality-based. Tyra must be a Tyra's Chaim. It has to be a living saver Tyra. Has to, we have to be a living saver. We have to, we have to, our every move from the moment that we wake up in the morning till we go to sleep at night is all under the dictates of halacha and we should be following those halachas and not like rolling our eyes and saying, that's not for me, this is not for me, Lashon Hara is not for me, Shemir Seinayim is not for me, Nagel Vasa is not for me and, uh, and uh, you know, Tefillah Sibar is not for me. These are halachas. Being Maver Sedra, I don't know what the percentage of people that are Maver Sedra is, and none of my business, but I venture to say very few people on the whole in Klal Yisrael are Maver Sedra. If you look in Shulchan Aruch, Simon Reish Pehei, and I always say that the reason for that Simon, Reish Pehei, is Reish Pehei, is because it's Rafa. Rafa means it's weak. It's a very Shvacha mitzvah that Klal Yisrael response. So it's a, it's a halacha in the same size font as any other halacha. Shmir Shabbos and Tarasa HaMeshpacha and Kashrus and all of that is the same size font as that you're supposed to be Maver Seder, Shnai It's the same font in the Mechaber. Why don't we do it? Why don't many of us do it? Because, you know, whatever, I don't have time. It's not, it's not intellectually exciting for me. I don't, you know, it's like, I, I can't, I, whatever. I, we, we chalk... The answer is that we don't take Tyra seriously. It's like everything is, it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's up to us to decide. We could be machria whether we should or we shouldn't. And a lot of times what we do is we, we, we take the easy way out. And I'm not so, talking about you, I'm talking about me. But there are so many stories and so many realities of how when we're makbin on certain things, how it's, it's reality. I'm thinking of the story of uh, 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 the guy that was sitting next to like the, a guy on an airplane and um, you know, he was served his kosher meal, like a pastrami sandwich, and the guy was served his uh, trefina meal, a pastrami sandwich, and a lot of times they look identical to kosher meals and non-kosher meals. And the person opened up his, the, the yid opened up his kosher pastrami sandwich, 
and then he, you know, you always have that. It's another thing, you know, Mazinus role. Is, it, is there such a thing as Mazinus role? Is that halachic fiction? Some people hold there's no such thing in halachic as Mazinus uh, role. You always have to wash. Anyway, he's back and forth. Anyway, sorry, you know, I'm going to get up and wash. It's the hardest thing in the world. When you're on a plane, you just want to eat. You want to ask 50 people to get up and go to the bathroom and find a cup. And ba- All right, he did it. He got up. And then he comes back after a few minutes and he, he thinks to himself, wait a minute. I can't eat this pastrami sandwich anymore because it's basur, shinis ali minayin. There's halacha about that. If you leave meat, meat, you know, without a simon on it, un, un, exposed, and a guy has access to it, you're not allowed to eat it. So what would you and I do if you were in that situation? Even if it's kicking around in the back of your head, basur, shinis but you're hungry, what would you do? I know what I would do. Just turn your brain off. Make a mitzlechem and arts, and say there's probably paiskim that are matir. Wasn't away long enough. It's on an airplane. It's whatever. It's a you know leiba shemayim. We're in we're we're in we're in the heavens over here. It's a above altar. We'll make up tyro, right? Am I wrong or am I am I the only guy here that's thinking that way? What this guy did was he was from and he said there's halacha basrish and salmon. I can't eat the sandwich. There's a brick wall between me and the sandwich. This guy that was schmoozing with him the whole plane ride says, Hey, uh, Rabbi, why are you not eating the sandwich? He says, eh, You're not going to understand. Yeah, why not? We, I have time and we're here, you know, 20,000 feet in the air. You might as well, you know, got a three hours to kill still. Why don't you tell me why you're not eating your sandwich? Because you really want to know? Okay. Jewish law forbids meat that was exposed uh, for a certain amount of time to be eaten because there's a fear that perhaps a non-Jew might have uh, taken that piece of meat and substituted for another piece of meat. Whatever, that's the reason. The guy started turning red, green, and orange, coughing, having a you know, panic attack. And he, the Jew said, you, is everything okay? Should I call like the, the doctor on board? He says, no. He says, your rabbis were so wise... He says, what do you mean? He says, I always heard about kosher meat and how it's a little saltier than non-kosher meat. And so when you went to the bathroom, I quickly switched the piece of my, the meat from my pastrami sandwich with a piece of meat from your pastrami sandwich. I just wanted to taste it. It wasn't, I didn't mean any harm. I didn't know how important these, these laws are. He says, if the rabbis understood thousands of years ago that this was a concern and look how it's a concern. Your rabbis are something else. You have something. Judaism is something. Halacha is real. Halacha is not fictional. It's not like, okay, I left it and the cleaning lady was at home and, you know, the bottle of wine was in the fridge that wasn't mavushal and, you know, but, uh, you know, whatever. There's mistama paiskim that are mekel. If it's, if it's usur, it's usur. Throw, spill it down the sink. We don't necessarily always do that because... We have a very, very casual relationship with Tyre. We say, don't take it so seriously. What we should take from this is that we should take Tyre seriously. Tyre is our life. If we're learning Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, we're learning Sanhedrin, whatever it is that we're learning, take it and inculcate the lessons of that Mesechta into your life. If we're learning Chumash, you live with a parsha. You live with a parsha. The parsha is telling us this, this parsha, and you give a shmuz about it, or we talk about this concept. Let's all try to like make it a little bit more reality based.
Let's try to take things a little bit more literally and more seriously and be meiser nefesh a little bit more for, for shmiras ha'alacha. A lot of times I give a shmooz and I get emails from people or texts from people. I don't know how it is, Rabbi, but you always speak to the thing that I needed to hear that week. It's like you have Ruach HaKadish. The week that I needed about a shmooz about Lashon Hara, you speak about Lashon Hara. The week that I needed a shmooz about, uh, about uh, Simcha, you speak about Simcha, because I was a little depressed that week. How do you know? The answer is, besides for the fact that I have Ruach HaKadish, in addition to that, I'm joking, in addition to that, it's not my... T- it's that you're living with a parsha. The parsha is telling us something. The parsha is speaking to every yid in the world. This is something that we have to hear. I want to just end with something a little controversial, perhaps, and I, I don't like controversy, but I just have to get it off my chest because it's bothering me. And it's something that I, I don't... I've, I've spoken to many big Tamid Chachamim and, and really G'daylam about this, and, it, and they don't give me a good answer. There's a mitzvah in the Torah, Ushmartem Ma'aylan Afshay You have to be very, very concerned about your health. This is not a Durabonan even, it's a Dairaisa. And yet, we go to Chasnas, or we see pictures of Chasnas in the papers, and you don't see a single person, Kimat, or Ruba Daruba, the people, are not wearing masks. They're not wearing masks. And you like, wonder, like, you know, it, what's going on? Like, why, is there like an iron dome over certain cities that COVID doesn't come in? They, there's no reason to be concerned. I was, I was in a certain city, I'm not going to say which one, this past week, and I went into, a, into a, an eatery for a second, I had to get something there, and there was dozens of people in there, not a single person was wearing a mask. I'm not only talking about the people dining. You don't have to wear a mask when you're eating. But the people standing online, the people working behind the counter, not a single mask. In fact, when I came in, everybody was looking at me like I was the crazy one because I was wearing the mask. I think they might have called the cops because they thought I was like trying, like I'm a bank robber maybe. They haven't, like the concept of a mask is so rochuk that it was like, you know, you open up papers and you see chasness of... People, very from people that spend a lot of money on their Esraigim every year, I'm sure, spend a lot of money to build the most beautiful sukkah and to get all the nice sukkah possible. They probably make matzis on Erev Pesach, you know, the, with the, all the Hidurim, the Erev Pesach matzis with Singhalil, paying, you know, $100 a pound for those matzis. They do all the mitzvahs so, so properly. And then there's a mitzvah with and they can't do that because it's uncomfortable to wear a mask. It's not uncomfortable to wear a strimal in the summer. It's not uncomfortable to wear a black hat and a, and, a, and a black suit every Shabbos and every day. It's not uncomfortable to, uh, you know, to, I don't know, to clean your house for Pesach, to put silver foil over, over your steering wheel. Like, what's, you know, that's not uncomfortable. But it is uncomfortable to to wear a, a little mask that uh, I'm, I'm not saying I enjoy wearing a mask. I don't. But Laman Hashem, it's a mitzvah in the Torah. Let's take it a little literally. 
you have to protect, you know, you're going to say, well, it's a weaker strand, and the Gayim are just trying to impose, it's baloney. People are dying from corona every day, Adayim. Not just um, thousands of people in the world, in America, but from a Yidin, in every, it's in Queens, and it's in Brooklyn, and it's in Lakewood, and it's in Muncie, and it's in Passaic, and it's in, and it's in Florida, and it's in Cleveland, and it's in Chicago. It's all over. And Eretz Yisrael, terrible. And we can't wear a mask to protect ourselves and protect our families. And then we go after the chasna, and we go to visit our, 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 our mothers, our grandmothers, who are in their 80s, 90s, compromised, and we could literally be killing them, and that's not a problem in the Tyra? That's not, that, that, that you don't see as being a halachic problem? I don't know, I, and I, I, I'm not saying that I'm smarter or firmer than anybody. I'm really, really not, I promise you. I just don't understand it. The best answer that I got is, well, we don't like listening to authorities because authorities in Poland used to, you know, do pogroms against us and kill us. That's the best answer that I've gotten so far. And Cuomo's an anti-Semite. That's the only thing I've heard. The fact that it's, it's mamish, sakonis nefashis. It's sakonis nefashis mamish to be exposed to other people and to expose other people to our breathing. It's an airborne virus that's deadly. Is it such a big deal, Laman Hashem, to ask us to put on a, a silly little piece of paper on our, on our mouth and our nose? It goes into this parsha. This parsha, Yaakov Avinu did not wink at Esav, at, at Aliphaz when he said that an Ani is Chashukames. He meant it. He understood a Kipshutai. An Ani is Chashukames. Take the Torah seriously. Take the Torah literally. Do not t- try to cir- circumvent the Torah with your own halachic analysis. If you have a Pisic that's legit and telling you, that's fine. But if it's on your own, you became your own Pisic on every halacha and you're makeo with this and you take the kuladik approach to every single thing or you assume that there must be some Pisic that's makeo so I don't have to filter my water because I'm sure there's a Pisic that's makeo and I don't have to filter my this and I don't have to, you know, not go here. I don't have to speed because this is whatever. Tyra is not as literal as I, 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 it first comes my world, my literal, my, my reality, and then if the Tyra fits in neatly, then I'll accept it. If not, then I'm going to have to do, a, you know, do an end run around it. That's not Tyra. That's other types of branches of Judaism. It's not Tyra. It's not, it's not Tyra Judaism. Tyra Judaism main, means that we believe in the Tyra. We believe in Allah. We, we, now, it doesn't mean that we're always perfect. We do have Averis also. That doesn't mean that we're not Tyra. But at least officially on the books, we believe in Tyra. We believe in Halacha. Yes, we speak Lashonara occasionally, but we know that it's wrong. We don't say, well, for me, it's Mutter Gamma. We know that it's wrong. We feel guilty, or we should feel guilty. You're also a Tyra Jew if you do that. But if you say that it's not Negea to me, that parish in the Tyra is not Negea, that's not Judaism. Maybe the Reform will do that. The Conservatives maybe will do that. But Orthodox Jewry do not believe in that. We take things literally. And if the Tyra is saying you have to watch your health and all they're asking us to do is to put on a mask when we go outside or when we're around other people, then we do it. Are the laws too stringent? Are they Bidafka targeting you know, Orthodox Jews unfairly? I don't know. It's possible, yes. It's possible not. It might be we're, you know, we're all uh, a little bit... Uh, 
you know, we take, you know, we take these things too seriously and we're like a little bit uh, paranoid about anti-Semitism sometimes, or maybe it isn't, I don't know. But it's not a, it's not a gezerah like shmad, like they're telling us, you know, do not learn Tyra. They're not telling us, Orcus of the Masana, that we can't keep our menhagim, you know, you're not allowed to wear a, a yarmulke or a strimal or tefillin, or, they're not doing that. They're just saying, put a mask on. And social distance, that's all they're telling us to do. So how the people that are so machmir on everything and all the hidr mitzvah and spending, and then when it comes to perhaps the most important mitzvah, pikuach nefesh, in the Torah, and all of a sudden we're like, we're showing achil Hashem barabim that we completely don't care about it? I don't understand it. Uh, if somebody wants to suggest a, an answer, you can email me, you could, you could text me, you could call me. I don't have a good answer. I've spoken to many people about it. I've spoken to many people because it bothered me. Last night I spoke to a, a very hush of a relative of mine about it for a long time. I've spoken to Rabbeim and Yeshiva about it that are older and much wiser than me. Nobody can explain it. It's like inexplicable. But what we have to do, regardless of if we're the last people on planet Earth, we're the last Jews alive, that we have to keep the Torah literally. Unless you know that there's a bona fide Pesach that's matter something, and with a good rationale, then we can't be so flippant with the Torah. We have to take it quite literally. If you don't want to keep the, the CDC's guidelines literally because you don't like authority, but keep the Torah's guidelines seriously. And if you see there's a magefa around the world and they're asking us to wear a mask, and this isn't a new thing, the Chavetz Chaim brings in the Biralacha that there was a magefa in his times and he speaks about wearing a mask and covering your, your mouth and your nose with a mask. It's not something new. What would the Chavetz Chaim say if he was alive today? Think he'd be walking around without a mask? He wouldn't. Because he was makbin on the mitzvahs of Torah and he took them literally. We have to be more literal with the Torah. Again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that every agadita has to be taken literally. It doesn't. There are many. You have to look in the Meshra, You have to see the Mepharshim. And I'm, but but there is definitely on a certain level a reality that we have to live with it. And that's how. It is. That's how. That's our mandate in life. If we're just learning it as intellectual, we're learning Hilchas Mazig, and then we bang up other people's cars, then we're not learning. Then the learning was nothing, obviously. It was just nothing. It was a theoretical... You know, my Rebbe used to tell me that in, there was a city in England that people after the war who loved learning before the war, but they lost their religion during the war, they would sit on Shabbos afternoon in the park learning Mesech Shabbos while smoking a cigar. And it struck me as so odd, like when I was, a, when I was in, in high school and my Rebbe said that. It's like, it's so weird. Like, for, I don't understand why people that weren't from would want to learn Gemara anyway. That was a different child that I had. But they had like this intellectual love of learning. They loved the lambdas. They loved the intellectual, but they, they were learning al-Ghashav. They might have been learning about, about al-Ghashav, about, uh, about uh, you know, like Sadaro Eish. About Mavir and Shabbos, but they were they were smoking a, a, a cigar while they were learning what's the pshat because it wasn't a teres chayim. It's not kiyem chayim. It's an intellectual pursuit. Chalila v'chas that our learning of teres should be an intellectual pursuit alone. We should enjoy learning, but it always has to be firmly rooted in reality. 
And what the Torah says is reality. If the Torah says that Babel is north of Eretz Yisrael, then Babel is north of Eretz Yisrael. If it doesn't say it, it might be north, it might be south, and we don't know. Because the Torah is the only thing in our life that should be real. And when the Torah says something, we must take it literally. We must take it seriously. Mitzvah Hashem, we will. Have a wonderful Shabbos, Rabbi Seh.